Hello, and welcome to the Mahabharat podcast. In the previous episode, we covered aspects of contemporary history in the Asian subcontinent before hearing more about the Mahabharat, including the Mahabharat's central place in the history of India and how the Mughals and British found and reacted to it, the grand historic economic status of India, the type of Vedic text that the Mahabharat is, and also tributes to the Mahabharat, including from Barack Obama and the current Indian External Affairs Minister, Dr. Subramaniam J. Shankar. The more comprehensive, unabridged versions of the Mahabharat start as any diligently compiled classics may do, with accounts of how as a story it has been heard and passed down by a number of personalities in different contexts, in different forms, with differing lengths also. There is an important part of Vedic spiritual tradition called parampara, meaning lineage, succession or series, whereby teachings are passed on. Why are the Mahabharat teachings passed down? It was for spiritual enlightenment or development for the seeker or student, and also to help educate those who are to lead or govern kingdoms, ensuring that they're equipped with the lessons of history or itihasa in Sanskrit. So let's get into it. There are eight key characters involved in the original speaking, hearing and scribing of the Mahabharata. 1. Sage Vyasadev, also known as Veda Vyas, where Ved refers to the four foundational scriptures, the Vedas. The first Veda is the Rig Ved of 10,552 verses. Rig means praise, and the text contains shuktas or hymns, information on cosmology and the deities. It also contains the well-known Gayatri Mantra. The Samaved of 1875 verses is the second Veda. Samam means song, and this is the book of melodies and chants. It is the source of classical forms of music and dance. Next is the Yajurved of 1975 verses. Yajur means worship. It is a source of the Upanishads, the key texts on worship. Two of the oldest surviving manuscript copies of the Yajurved were discovered in what is today Nepal and Western Tibet. And the final Ved is the Atharva Ved of 5,977 verses. It is the knowledge storehouse of procedures for everyday life and major life events like marriage. And this contains daily routines and rituals for the human, as well as the mystical aspects of existence. So that's the Ved part of Veda Vyas. Vyas means one who classified or compiled. In terms of his underlying identity, Vyas is an incarnation of the Supreme Person for the purpose of imparting scripture. 
He is the son of a sage called Barashar Muni and Satyavati. Satyavati happens to be the daughter of a fisherman, and Barashar Muni begot in Satyavati through a mystical process, Vyasa, who was born in between islands. And hence, another name of his is Krishna Dvaipayan Vyas, where Krishna refers to his dark blue hue and Dvaipayan meaning island-born. His mother is indeed the same Satyavati who marries King Shantanu, and so Vyas is the grandfather of the Kaurava and Pandava cousins. He often appears in parts of the Mahabharata to impart his advice at various tense and important junctures. 2. Ganesh The elephant-headed son of Lord Shiva, and bringer of good fortune and auspiciousness, who scribed the Mahabharata using one of his tusks. 3. Shukadev Goswami Shuka means parrot, or one who repeats everything he hears. He is the son of Vyasadev, who was born with the Vedas dwelling inside of him, and from birth was very renounced from worldly affairs. The various texts aren't consistent on who was the mother of Shukadev Goswami. Some say either Gritachi or Vatika, with different stories accompanying them, all involving a mystical style of birth. Some say he was a parrot in a previous life belonging to Sri Radha, the lover of Krishna, who took a form through the wife of Vyasa, Vatika. Other stories from the Devi Bhagavat talking of the celestial damsel passing Vyasa in the form of a beautiful parrot and him dropping semen, which was then used to form Shukha, and the most non-mystical of stories is from the Skanda Puran that he is the son of the union of Vyas and his wife Vatika. Shukadev Goswami was sent to King Janak, the father of Sita, the consort of Lord Ram, to further his spiritual education. King Janak was regarded as a highly enlightened king, one of the twelve Mahajans, or great personalities, and was regarded as Jivan Mukta, or liberated whilst living. When Vyas introduced Janak to Shuka as his teacher to be, a topic that is described in the Shanti Parva in the Mahabharata, he says, Go thou to Janak, the ruler of Mithila. The king of Mithila will tell thee everything for thy emancipation. Interestingly, Vyas told Shuka, Do thou go thither by that path which ordinary human beings take. Do not go through the skies. At this, Shuka was not at all surprised, for he was humble by nature. He was also told to proceed thither with simplicity and not from the desire of pleasure. He was also told, Although the ruler of Mithila is one in whose sacrifices we officiate, still thou should not indulge in any feeling of superiority. Live under his direction and in obedience to him 
he will dispel all thy doubts. King Janak realized Shuka was already on a very enlightened platform very quickly. Shukadev Goswami also studied under his father Vyas and Brihaspati, the priest of the gods. 4. Sage Vaisampayan, the learned disciple of Vyasadev, also known as Mahabharat Acharya or the teacher of the Mahabharat. He also recited the Harivamsha Puran, which also describes the glories of the great noble king Prithu after his birth from the wicked king Vena, whose very name means tormentor. Sage Vaisampayan also divided the Yajurved about worship into seven branches. 5. Sage Romaharshana, a disciple of Sage Vyas. There is also a backstory of Sage Romaharshana, who played an active role in the Mahabharata. When Balaram, the elder brother of the incarnation of God Krishna, decided he was not in favour of war, he opted for the path of peace and decided to go on a pilgrimage. On his journey, he came across an assembly of sages, at the head of which was sage Ramaharshana. All of the sages bowed down offering respects to Balaram, all except Ramaharshana. Balaram, being a fiery personality, with a piece of kusha grass, immediately killed him. On being pleaded by the sages to bring him back to life, Balaram said his son, the Sutta, would go on to recite the Mahabharata and the Vedas. 6. Sage Sauti, also known as Sutta Goswami, a son of Sage Ramaharshana and also a disciple of Sage Vyas. He is famed for being a reciter of the old teachings, including of the Srimad Bhagavat Puran, the Harivamsha, the Brahma Vaivarta Puran, and the Padma Purana. 7. King Janamajaya, the son of King Parikshit, who was the son of Abhimanyu, who in turn was the son of the famous Arjun. 8. Sage Shonaka, son of Grit Samada, and was the head of a group of sages. So there are the personalities, and now we cover the eight instances of passing down of the story. In terms of the content or versions, it is said the original story known to Vyasa was 600,000 verses long. However, the full 600,000 verses were never passed down, only reduced versions, as we shall hear. Lord Brahma said to Vyasa, You have called your present work a poem, wherefore it shall be a poem. There shall be no poets whose work may equal the descriptions of this poem. Let's now hear about the eight instances of passing down. 1. Vyasadev to Ganesh who scribed 24,150 verses, 
in a place called Badrinath, close to the Himalayas, that sits near the border with Tibet. During his narration and request to scribe, Vyasa said to Ganesh, Wherever there be anything thou dost not comprehend, cease to continue writing. This shows, right at the outset, the mindset requested was one of conscious questions, helping to ensure contemplation. 2. Vyasadev to Sukadev Goswami, his son, of 140,000 verses. 3. Sukadev Goswami to King Parikshit of 140,000 verses. Vyasadev to Sage Vaisampayan, his disciple, of 100,000 verses. 5. Sage Vaisampayan to King Janamajaya of 100,000 verses on the occasion of a snake sacrifice and another disciple of Vyasa, Sage Ramaharshana, overhearing this. Most of what we shall cover is the citing of this narration between Sage Vaisampayan to King Janamajaya and not the other versions. 6. Sage Ramaharshana to his son, Sage Sauti, or Sutta Goswami, of 100,000 verses. 7. Sage Sauti to the sages in the forest of Naimisharanya, including to Shonak Rishi, of 100,000 verses. This version is also popular through the Srimad Bhagavatam. The descriptions of the scene prior to this narration are beautiful and are as follows. Sage Sauti, well versed in the Puranas, bending with humility, one day approached the great sages of rigid vows, sitting at their ease in the forests of Naimisha. Sauti sat down, full of affection and smiling in joy. The attitude that permeated the space of the forest was one of humility, right from the speaker Sauti to the sages listening to him. Sauti follows, I will now speak of the undying, flowery and fruitful productions of this tree of the Mahabharat. Possessed of pure and pleasant taste and not to be destroyed, even by the immortals. Sauti continues to describe the key features of the Mahabharat. Vyasa has fully represented with greatness the house of Guru, the virtuous principles of Gandhari, the wisdom of Vidur, the constancy of Kunti, the divinity of Krishna, the rectitude of the sons of Pandu and the evil practices of the sons and partisans of Dhritarashtra. Sauti concludes his introduction by expanding on how each individual may have a different approach and relationship with the text. 
saying. Some read the Bharata beginning with the initial mantra or invocation, others with the story of Ashtika, others with the story of Uparichara, while some Brahmanas study the whole. And finally, Sutta Goswami explains the importance of this knowledge by saying, The lamp of history, which destroys the darkness of ignorance, the whole mansion of nature is properly and completely illuminated. As the full moon, by its mild light, expands the buds of the water lily, so this Puran, by exposing the light of the Shruti, has expanded the human intellect. Passing 8. This was by Vyasa to sage Narada with 150,000 verses, who then recited it to the gods and the ancestors. In passing down of this key teaching, covering the full cycle of dharma or duty, artha or economic development, karma or enjoyment, and moksha or liberation, including descriptions of the multitude of Vedic philosophies, the speaker Sutta Goswami warns of two dynamics. One, Little or incomplete learning is a dangerous thing. And also, ignorance or an absence of the quest for knowledge is also a dangerous thing. By concluding the descriptions of the passing down by saying, The Veda is afraid of one of little knowledge, lest he should be of it.